Let's open our Bibles today, please, to the book of Romans, book of Romans in the New Testament, chapter 12. As you're, as you're doing that, let me tell you a little about a man whose name was Michael Plant. Way back in 1992, Michael Plant uh, was a popular American yachtsman. He started a solo crossing of the North Atlantic Ocean from the United States to France. But two weeks into his voyage, something went wrong, and uh, his sailboat was lost at sea. His friends and his family uh, gathered at the dock uh, for an enthusiastic farewell. Uh, no, nobody had reason to worry about him because he had done this before. They were waving goodbye to an expert. The sailing community universally acknowledged that he was one of the best sailors ever. He had this mid-sized sailboat, the Coyote. It was state-of-the-art. Uh, he purchased a brand new 406 megahertz uh, emergency positioning indicator radio, which was capable of transmitting a message to a satellite in event of, of difficulties. Eleven days into the voyage, a radio contact with Michael Plant was lost. A search was launched and the coyote was found floating upside down by the crew of a freighter 450 miles northwest of the Azor Islands. No sign of Plant. In order for it, this sailboat, not to capsize, but to harness the tremendous power of the wind, there must be more weight below the waterline than there is above it. Uh, no one knows why or how, but the 8,000-pound weight beneath the waterline broke away from the keel. The four-ton weight was simply missing. No weight below the waterline was a prescription for disaster. And so it is in our lives. You know, we spend years building up the rigging, the sails, uh, the mast. People cheer us on. Uh, we have the most current equipment and training, but the real question is the boat seaworthy? What's going to happen to us when the storms come? Is there some weight below the waterline? Well, I'd like to talk to you this morning about what that, late, what that weight is. Uh, that weight is our, our walk with God. Uh, it's not what people see on the outside. It's what people can't see about our life. It's uh, those secret times we have with God. Uh, it's... Uh, it's the depth that we have in our soul. It's not what we do in the ministry. Uh, there's a similarity here among the followers of Jesus. Those with weight beneath the waterline remain faithful, usable, productive over the length of the journey. Sometimes they're pushed under by uh, storms that come our way, but they bounce back. They come back. Uh, just last weekend, I was in Austin, Texas, uh, pastor friend of mine started a church there in Austin 32 years ago in a funeral home. That's a very uninspirational place to start a church. Come on to our church. It's down at the local funeral home. 32 years ago, I remember I visited him when he first went there and he was, uh, we're sitting in his office and the, and the, uh, the floor in his office uh, it was tilted and he put a chair up on this one end. We'd just watch it just roll down the this place was really dilapidated. But uh, through the disappointments, the setbacks, the heartbreaks, now he meets in a most tremendous place, a gorgeous 
spacious, beautiful piece of property and buildings. 32 years of faithfulness. Uh, faithfulness is uh, part of the fruit of the Spirit. You know, I mentioned to you a few weeks ago that the gifts of the Spirit are given by God unequally. You know, he gives some more gifts than others, and he gives some people gifts that are more conspicuous than other people's gifts. They're given by God unequally. But the gift of faithfulness is given to all of us, according to Galatians 5.22. So all of us have this ability to be faithful to God. Uh, we see so much in the Bible about God being faithful to us. And there are so many appeals in the Bible for you and me to be faithful to God. For instance, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2 says this. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found what? Faithful. Uh, you know, when you hire somebody, you can deal with their, uh, with their training. It's almost impossible to deal with an unfaithful employee. Somebody that doesn't show up on time, uh, somebody who's not willing to learn. Faithfulness is the key issue about our life. So much so that at the end of the road, I know all of us want to hear from the Lord, well done, what? Good and faithful servant. Uh, that's the highest compliment, I think, that we're ever going to be able to have from God. The whole journey from the beginning to the end is to be marked by faithfulness. Uh, let's look now at Romans 12.1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service or act of worship. And so be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove or discover what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Uh, Bible students tell us that the first 11 chapters of, um, of Romans uh, are doctrinal, teaching. Uh, you know, we get in there and we learn so much. How can I receive God's righteousness? Are non-Christians really lost? What is the real nature of sin and what does it do to me? Why do I have so much trouble doing the right thing even when I want to do it? Uh, do, does the Old Testament and the New Testament disagree on how to be saved? What does a righteous life uh, really involve? What is my attitude toward other believers and, who have different convictions than me? How do I have close relationships with other Christians? It was through the book of Romans that Martin Luther rediscovered the great truth of being made right with God by faith. Actually, John Wesley came to faith in God when he was listening to the commentary that Martin Luther wrote on the book of Romans. John Wesley received God's gift of righteousness by faith. The first part, the first 11 chapters are doctrinal. Scholars tell us that chapter 12 to the end is practical. And so now Paul is telling the Romans, listen, all this stuff I've told you, all this teaching you need for the church, I'm going to tell you how now to put it into practical applications. Uh, you know, I love practical things. I'm a bottom line person. When somebody's in a big discussion, I, always, I, I almost like push them forward and say, okay, now, what's the bottom line? <laughs> let's not spend too much more time on the story. Just uh, let's, get to the, let's get to the bottom line of it all. Well, uh, Paul is saying here to the Romans in chapter 12, verse 1, I want you to make a choice. I beseech you. He said, I beg you to make this choice. 
by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. You've heard me say before that decisions are the hinges upon which the door of destiny turns. You make a good decision, you get the right result. You make a bad decision, you get the wrong result. Uh, many of us in this room today are suffering even now because of decisions that we've made in our past that were wrong or bad or uninformed or uneducated. Uh, and so Paul is saying, listen, I want you to make this choice and I want you to notice this. And he says, because of the mercy of God. In other words, if you like to write in your Bible, write this, in light of our salvation, because our salvation is embedded in the word mercy. You know, when God looked down upon this world, he had mercy on us. We didn't deserve it, but he looked at us and had pity on us. And so he says, listen, I want you to make this decision based on the mercy of God. Or, in other words, our salvation. What draws us together today in the church? Uh, well, we, we're drawn together here because of our salvation, our common faith in Jesus. This is the reason. How many times have you gone out with somebody to eat somewhere and somebody prays for just a small, simple thing, even the, even the food, and, the, and then kind of interjects in their prayer, and most of all, Lord, we thank you for our what? Our salvation, right? Uh, everything pales in light of that. Every, uh, that's the transcending thought of what brings us together. We are saved by grace. Uh, that's the pinnacle of what we believe. Heathendom is prone to sacrifice to obtain mercy. You and I sacrifice because God has shown us his mercy. Uh, what mercy has God shown us? Let's just think of that just a minute this morning. We have been declared righteous by faith. Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're indwelt by the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6.19 and 20. What, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Who you have from God and you're not your own? You're bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are the Lord's. Uh, the Lord supplies our need. Philippians 4 9, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And he helps us in times of trouble, doesn't he? He said in Joshua 1 verse 5, I will never leave you or what? Forsake you. Uh, and he says, listen, based upon your salvation, based upon the mercy that God has shown you, I want you to make a decision. I want you to make this decision that makes all this teaching that I've already given you in the first 11 chapters practical. I like the story of Moses. I, I love to read about Moses. Man, that guy was inspirational. Uh, he was leading the people of Israel through the wilderness and he got to the place in his life that he said, listen, Lord, you gotta show me your glory. And I don't know exactly what he meant by that, but I, I, I think that he, he meant that he would just like to see something visible you know, when you pray, don't every now and then don't you say something like that? You know, I'm praying and it's like a brick wall and God, can't you just show me a little bit of what you're going to do for me? I mean, just give me a little encouragement. And so Moses said, uh, Lord, show me your glory. And the Lord says, okay, I will proclaim the name of the Lord to you. And then he told him in Exodus 34, I want you to get up in the morning and I want you to get up early in the morning and I want you to meet me on the mountain. E.M. Bounds, uh, 
a famous, a famous revivalist prayer and writer, is said to used to get up at four o'clock in the morning and pray till seven. His normal prayer time was three hours in the morning. And people hunger for his writings today. They just absolutely hunger for his writings. Uh, you know, God shows people special things in the morning, early in the morning. God loves to speak to people at that particular time. And so he said, listen, I want you to come up in, uh, early in the morning, and I want you to get on top of the mountain, and, and then I'm going to proclaim my name to you. And I don't know what Moses had and what was going to happen, but uh, Exodus 34, 5 through 7 gives us a glimpse. And so let's, uh, let's read this, all right? Let's start at the top. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And so here's Moses. He's expecting the glory of God. And he said, Lord, show me your glory. And the Lord says, okay, I want to talk to you about this. And he begins to share with Moses who he is. He said, I'm the Lord. And the first thing he said about himself was the fact that he was merciful. And the second thing he said is that he was gracious. And so Paul is appealing here in Romans 12:1, based on God's mercy to you and me. Uh, and this is what he said. God's mercy to you and me, I want you to make this important decision and I want you to present your body a living sacrifice to me. Uh, what is God saying here to Moses? He's saying, Moses, you want to see my glory? My glory is who I am. It's my character. It's, it's who I am. It's my character. You know, at the end of the day, when somebody comes to pay their last respects to you or me, uh, they're not going to be talking about the awards we won where we work. They're going to not be talking about the degrees that we earned in school. They're going to be hopefully talking about the person that we were, that we used to be on earth, our character. That's our glory. How many times have you gone to a funeral and somebody said, you know, this had to be the best person who ever lived right here. They helped me out when no one else reached out to me. That's a person's glory. And so, and so uh, what Paul is asking these Roman people is, listen, based on, on God's mercy to you, I, uh, it's a reasonable thing for you to, uh, to make this decision. Uh, I want you to present your body a living sacrifice. What is he saying there? I want you to sell out completely to God. Present your body. You know, everything we, everything, uh, we are lives in our body, doesn't it? Our mind, our spirit, our body represents our whole person. And that's what Paul is saying here. I want you to give your whole person to me. And he, uh, he does it wrapped in the imagery of uh, a sacrifice. Now, the word present here is a very interesting word. It's in the aorist tense, which means uh, that it, is, it denotes an event, an experience, 
a point in time, a defining moment in a person's life when they finally give up on themselves and turn everything over to God. People struggle with that sometimes. He says, listen, I want you to present yourself. I want you to come to grips with giving your whole self to me, everything you are, everything you have and everything you are. And remember, whenever they sacrificed in the Old Testament, they brought it to the altar. And when they brought it to the altar, it didn't come back. It was killed. Uh, Paul says, listen, I'm not looking for a dead sacrifice. I'm looking for a living sacrifice. Uh, we die a little bit at this altar of which he speaks right here to our own will. We pick up a new vocabulary. It's no longer my kingdom come, my will be done. It's your kingdom come, your will be done. Uh, it's no longer about us, it's about the Lord. And boy, life takes on a new perspective when that takes place. Now, he says, whenever you come to this altar, I want you to present yourself, notice the next word here, after living sacrifice, holy that's the standard of sacrifice that God accepts. Remember in the Old Testament, he says, now don't you bring me any of these, any of these offerings uh, that are not perfect. And so we know that we're not perfect, but God says, listen, I want you to come to this altar to present yourself uh, with this standard in your mind that you want to be perfect, that you want to be holy, and that you are going to be as holy as possible for you to be from this time forth. Those impure things begin to burn away in the heat of this altar. And he says, listen, this is only a logical thing for you to do. You know, we look at missionaries surrendering their lives to the Lord and going all over the, all over the world and paying this big sacrifice. And, and we say, boy, isn't that amazing? Well, it probably isn't. It's probably only logical that they do that. Because Jesus made a choice to come and die on the cross for our sins, and he sold out completely to the mission that God, his Father sent him on, so you and I ought to do the same thing. And you know, when we hear an appeal like this, I don't know about you, but everything in me uh, wants to say yes. This is what I want to do. I want to lay my life down, uh, and I, I don't want any part of my life to be restricted uh, from God. What is that? What is that desire inside of us? Well, Philippians 2, 12 and 13 has the answer to these things. And uh, let's, kind of, uh, let's kind of just skip back to the last two sentences there. And we'll begin with the word for over there uh, in the corner. Let's read. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It's God's Holy Spirit working in you to give you the will, that means the desire, and then to do, that's the energy, uh, for his good pleasure. And so whenever we read the scriptures and Paul said, listen, I want you to present yourself, I want you to go to the altar, and I want you to sell out completely to God, uh, the Holy Spirit affirms that in our life and says, yes, that's what I want you to do. And so we say, man, that's what I want to do. But you know, there are hang-ups that we have. There are issues that we can't get past, and we, and we want to hold on to things, and we don't want to sell out completely. Well, then he goes on, he tells us how to do this, okay? He says, this is only your reasonable service. And then he says, now let me show you how to do this. And do not be conformed to this world. Now, 
What's that mean? That means turn your back to the world. That doesn't mean that we become a monk and we get, go into a monastery and we separate ourselves from the world because it's so evil we can't look upon it or touch it. It doesn't mean that. Uh, but it means not to be squeezed or pressured in to the thought patterns and the ways of the world. Uh, a Christian is otherworldly, not of this world. We are in it, but not supposed to be of it. And he says, listen, don't be conformed. We always are pressured to do the things the world wants us to do. You know, there's always a lot of pressure, isn't there? Somebody was telling me last night in the service, they had a friend and they've been off of alcohol for a couple couple years and, and they finally just had to get a lot, they finally got a life. And they went to a party and they started to break out the booze and, and, the, and they went up and said, please excuse me, I'm, I gotta get out of here. I gotta get out of here. There's always pressure to conform us. The person made a good decision. Uh, John said, um, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. Uh, and the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he that does the will of God remains forever. Uh, he says, listen, I want you to don't be conformed to the world. And it's interesting here that the tense of this particular uh, command is different. It's present imperative. And what that means is, is this is something you and I have to be on guard about all the time. We have to be on guard about it. Uh, because just about the time you think that, that the world's not coming after you, the world comes after you, doesn't it? You know, just about the time you think you have that under control, uh, there's this other temptation out there, another chance for you to be like the world. And he says, listen, you've got to be on guard. You have to turn your back to the world. And then, and then you don't want to be a negative Christian either. You know, you don't want to go around and say, oh, I can't, and I can't do this, and I can't go there. I, you don't want to do that. And so he goes on, and he tells us the other part of the package Look at it with me. Don't be conformed to this world, but be what? Transform, and this is how, by the renewing of your mind. Now, the word transform there is the Greek word metamorphuo, and it should sound familiar to you. It's the word from which we get the English word metamorphosis. It's used four times in the New Testament, twice of Christ and twice of believers. Uh, here he says, listen, You've got to be changed in your thinking. Your thinking has to change. You know, people can go along with a program and pretend that there's change, but there's not any real change until your thinking changes. You know, you can kind of go through the ropes, uh, or through the motions of being a Christian and be on the wrong page in your mind. But he says, listen, you have to be transformed in your mind. You have to let me remold your mind in my kingdom, we think differently. And so this is why people look at believers today and say, hey, listen, those people are really off their rocker. You know, they're really not, they really don't think like us. Now, that's a compliment, by the way. Uh, you know, there are some people that live according to their feelings, and, I, and boy, that's a bad way to live. How do I feel about the church? How do I feel about my wife? How do I feel about worship? 
Well, God, God says, listen, he says, I want to tell you how to react to the church, to your wife, to worship. And it's all in the Bible, and I have to change your thinking because it can't be based upon your feelings. Because feelings are like this, right? Aren't they? I mean, whoa, they're like wild, like the jackrabbit out there at Kennywood. It's like, it's like the time you, it, it, you just fall off the, off the ledge. Ephesians 5.22 says this, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And there in that one verse, we, God tells us what we're supposed to, how we're supposed to react to the church and to our wife. Love your wife. Uh, be self-sacrificial to her as, as I was to the church. Love the church. Uh, you know, God wants to tell us what to think about these things, what's true. And he says, listen, in order for you to do that, you have to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And what does that mean? That means that we have to assimilate the mind of Christ. Philippians 2.5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So in other words, let this attitude be in you. Now, how do we know what the attitude of Christ is? Well, the only way that I know is that we assimilate the word of God. And I like the word assimilate, the word of God. We take it in. We, we absorb the word of the Lord. D.L. Moody said one time, I have never seen a useful Christian who was not a student of the Bible. Now, he didn't mean a student in a technical sense, like, you know, books like all in my office back there. He didn't mean that. He just meant that, that, that a person who assimilates the Bible becomes useful as a Christian. Because what happens is they assimilate the mind of Christ. And when we begin to think like Christ, then we begin to act like Christ in these situations that we find ourselves in. Uh, psalm 119, boy, that whole psalm is so, so big and so powerful. Psalm 119, verse 9 uh, through 11. Let's, let's read this. It answers a number of questions, okay? How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you, O let me not wander from your commandments. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now look at this. How can a young man cleanse his way? How can a person go straight? How can a, how can a young person stay on the straight and narrow? It says, by taking heed according to your word, by finding out what the mind of God is in the Bible, the mind of Christ. Uh, and, let, let, and then let God reshape our thinking. Start thinking like he thinks. And then uh, taking heed according to your word and then hiding God's word in our heart that we may not sin against God. That's one step even further. And then Psalm 119 verse 105 is a tremendous passage. And let's read that. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And so as we assimilate the word of God, uh, our, our thinking begins to change and we begin to think like the Lord. And he says, this is how you cannot be conformed to this world. This is how you can stand up and say no when it's time to say no.
This is when you can stand up and make the right decision. I'll give you the, I'll give you the right thoughts to make in, in these given situations. Now we assimilate the word of God. That's transformation. That's God changing us. Not from the outside in, but from the inside out. And there's one other thing. And that's the other passage of scripture that, uh, that the word metamorpho is mentioned in, and that's 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, there's that word, transformed into the same profile from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And whenever we come face to face with Christ, and we do that through communion with the Lord, through our prayer time. I can't overestimate it. Because whenever you hang out with the Lord, uh, he transforms you. When you're in his presence, you begin to be like him. And, uh, and uh, your profile begins to change. You know, people all the time says, boy, this person's hanging out with the wrong person, and they're going the wrong direction. On, on contrawise, whenever we hang out with the right person, we do what? go in the right direction, right? And so through assimilating the word and through having communion with Christ, we become transformed in our life. A change takes place in our heart that's not, now listen, it's not just temporary. It's for real. It's the real thing. And then look what happens. Don't be conformed. But be transformed, and again, the word transformed is present imperative, and that means that we have to always be continually transformed by the renewing of our, our mind that we may prove or discover what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We discover God's will for our life. That's a wonderful thing. What a discovery. Uh, it's, I, I meet a lot of people. And it's really quite tragic that a person can live their whole life and not discover the purpose for which God made them. Wow. I feel sad whenever I, whenever I meet somebody like that. They've never just ever plugged into the purpose of life. And, uh, but here we find that transformation enables us to plug into the purpose for which we, we were born. Uh, it's a discovery. You know, it's uh, quite a reward at the end of the day uh, to be able to feel that we have, uh, that we've discovered the purpose for which we were born. I remember years ago we had a, a, a very well-known man uh, come to our church, and if, I'm not going to mention his name, but he was very well-known in the area, and uh, I guess you would say he was pretty successful. And uh, he, he, come, he came to our church, and, and uh, after being here a while with his family, he said, you know, I wish I would have discovered this church a long time ago for my family. Because we went to a liberal church uh, where the Bible really wasn't preached and people weren't really challenged to live for God, and, and it had a negative impact upon my kids. There was no challenge there, and now I see my kids uh, kind of doing their own liberal things, and I think if I could have found a church like this church uh, years ago, things would have been different. Uh, and, uh, you know, some people say that of their own personal life. Uh, you know, boy, it's a wonderful thing, and this is why we put so much emphasis here in our church on young people. Uh, we want our young people to discover the will of God early in life so they don't 
so they don't have too many mistakes to, uh, to deal with later in life. Uh, I, I always challenge young people, boy, give your life to God now. Uh, find another person to be married to who's going, who, who loves God more than you. And if you can find a person who loves God more than you, you've got the right mate. You have the right spouse. Um, and then go and then go and uh, and do it with all your energy. But this discovery, though, of discovering the will of God, is something that is ongoing in our life, and so it's ongoing transformation. You know, God doesn't give us the whole plan right away. He gives us uh, just step by step. Uh, they say that you can see icebergs going in a different direction than the direction of the wind. They're driven by strong currents below the surface, driven by something unseen. Wait below the waterline. I was speaking uh, with Pastor Dean Nail in, over in Pennsylvania some years ago, and Dean was the pastor in one of, of the Northgate Bible Baptist Church on the north side of Pittsburgh for 32 years. I used to call him the Bishop of Pittsburgh. And I would write him a letter and I would put Bishop Dean Nail on there. And, um, and they were, we were in a forum and these other pastors were talking to him and they, they, they said to him, Dean, how are you able to, uh, to have a ministry in a church for 32 years? You know, that's kind of unheard of because I think the average pastor stays at a church about three years. And he says, how were you able to stay there for 32 years? And he thought a minute, and he said, well, it's the power of positive plodding. And that was his way of saying, I've just been faithful. And the thing that enabled him to be faithful, listen to this, was his weight beneath the waterline. Because the winds blow and sometimes capsize the boat, push it over on its side or even upside down. But if you have weight below the waterline, you come back. The boat comes up and you sail on. Dean Nail was like that. And my message to you today is that you need to be like that. You need to develop weight below the waterline. Not just go through the motions because somebody's watching you or looking at you in the church or, or somewhere else, but uh, building your soul up so that when the waves come crashing in on you, that you can be like those icebergs. You just keep going in the direction of the big current underneath. Okay, let me summarize. First of all, you have to make a choice. And I know people dodge this choice because they think, well, you know, I have to give up that and I have to give up that and I can't. That's all so insignificant compared to what we're talking about. You know, the life that God gives us when, he, when we give ourselves completely to God is so much better than anything this world has to offer. So much better than anything this world. You remember a week or so ago, I put in the bulletin. I asked Jim Watts if he read it. He said, I never read the bulletins. You better talk to him. I was, 
I wish to. <laughs> I put this th saying in the bulletin, Jim, Jim Elliott, you know, the, the, who lost his life at the, down there in Ecuador. He said, people always ask us as missionaries, why would you give your life for something like that? Why would you do that? And he, his response is so great. He says, everybody's given their life for something. And what will it be like at the end of the day? And I thought, that is the coolest statement. That is the most awesome statement. I hope Jim will read it one of these days. First of all, we make a choice. How could we do otherwise? How could we not sell out completely to God? That doesn't even make sense. Uh, hold back nothing. Turn your back on the world. Burn some bridges. Turn your face to the Lord and be changed from the inside out. And I think this begins with a decision that we make. You know, I mean, it begins with a, hey, listen, I'm, I'm tired of playing the game. I'm getting on the team. And it's starting today. D.L. Moody said, I am only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. And that which I can do by the grace of God, I will do. Let's do this one thing out of which all good things grow. Let's be faithful. Be faithful. And the only way that we can ever do that is to be transformed. To turn our back on the world. Turn our, turn our face to the Lord. And grow. So that there's more to us on the inside. And that's where it really counts. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, um, I wonder, has uh, this message of faithfulness resonated with you? You know, until we make a decision like this and until we come to a, a crisis decision in our life where we actually sell out completely, uh, it's, it's really hard to put this whole thing together because we we keep asking ourselves shall I surrender here or shall I surrender there or I'm not surrendering here I'm not doing that and and, he, and Paul says listen you've got to give your your whole body to me you have to lay it down at the altar uh, nothing withheld give it all to God and then it gets it gets a whole lot easier then it really does the struggle, uh, you have to give up the struggle and say, listen, Lord, I'm selling out. And I'm going to start doing those things that build weight because I feel the pressure all the time. If you're here today and you've never made uh, a decision like that, you've never presented yourself to God, you've never bowed down at, at an altar at home or in the church or, or wherever uh, and said, Lord, this is it, I, I surrender. I'm giving you everything. I'm not holding nothing back. I, I want to be a living sacrifice. I want to burn out for you. You can do that. Dear Lord, we come into your presence now to have our invitation. I just pray that you move among us, Lord. Maybe there are some people in our church this morning that need to make this decision today. Maybe, maybe this has been on their mind and you've just brought it now to a... Uh, to a point in their life that they, they realize, hey, yeah, God is talking to me. I need to make a decision like this. 
I need to sell out. We pray now that you'll give us the freedom to do those things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.